0: Broadcasting live from an undisclosed location in the western foothills, you're listening to Open Ears Maine. We want to hear your pandemic stories. To call in, dial area code 515-602-9747. That's 515-602-9747. The phone lines are now open.
1: Do you know how old the school building in your community is? If it's over 25 years old, the chances are that it's woefully inadequate. Join with the groups in your community working for better school conditions. Remember, better schools build a stronger America.
0: Welcome to episode 12 Of Open Ears, Maine, it is Tuesday, May 19th, 2020, a sunny and beautiful spring day, and a quick look at this week's forecast. It's gonna be friggin' nice out. I'm your host, Crash Berry, editor-at-large for Mainer, the magazine and website at MainerNews.com. Do you enjoy true crime podcasts? If so, you should really be listening to Devils and Dirtbags. That's my 13-part investigation of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts. Visit devilsanddirtbags.com or download the show wherever you download. On today's Open Ears, Maine, we'll speak to a school teacher from the Midcoast to hear what it's like to teach 5th and 6th grade during a pandemic, but first, the numbers According to the Maine Center for Disease Control, there have been 1,741 cases connected to the coronavirus in Maine. At least 73 Mainers have died with COVID-19, and to date, 1,088 residents have recovered from the illness. A couple hundred folks held another reopen-the-state protest in Augusta this past weekend, this rally the third of its kind in the last month, was attended by former Maine Governor Paul LePage. Ever the fearless leader, LePage, a current Florida resident, a Floridian, kept a safe distance from the mostly unmasked masses, speaking to the crowd via telephone from the comfort of his Lexus, which, of course, is registered in Florida, and has Florida license plates. The former governor has grunted several times in recent weeks that he's possibly planning another run for the Blaine House. Meanwhile, the state is reopening slowly, whether the protesters realize it or not. Campgrounds can open this weekend for Mainers only. Also, restaurants in 12 counties are being allowed to reopen But most establishments seem to be taking their time, since many diners are still reluctant to eat and drink among the unmasked masses, some of whom probably attended the reopen demonstration this weekend. Stay tuned for a conversation about schooling kids during these weird times. Education, by the way is a subject I know very little about because I don't have children in school or otherwise. So I've been looking forward to hearing from the front lines about the challenges faced by educators. Coming up, a chat about teaching during a pandemic.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, in the next seven years of bigger and bigger enrollments, America's grade schools will need nearly a quarter of a million extra teachers, besides those to fill normal vacancies. This great need, plus the growing public interest in education and improvements in schools, make elementary school teaching a more rewarding career than ever, a career that high school and college students should certainly consider. Education holds America's future, perhaps your future.
0: Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Joining us now is a school teacher we're calling Lois, who teaches grades five and six at a rural school in Midcoast, Maine. Lois, by the way, has been teaching for 16 years. Lois, before the pandemic, would you have ever envisioned the dramatic shift that local education would take because of COVID-19.
2: No, not at all. I mean, I think like everyone we were kind of blindsided and even as we were piecing together what we were going to do and getting updates day by day, I know that things shifted in our school to being closed until April break and then being closed until the end of the year. So, totally didn't see it coming.
0: In this era of school shootings and Other disasters, natural or unnatural, what sort of catastrophe planning do local schools have?
2: We did a lot of things um, not related to the pandemic, but, you know, active shooter drills and your basic bloodborne pathogens and first aid and CPR. And, you know, we need to get certified in those things every year through an online system. And we didn't see this coming at all. So we were kind of uh, flying the plane as we built it.
0: Walk us through what happened in the, the weeks and days before your school district shifted to distance learning.
2: It was definitely a crazy time. And I have family out in the Midwest and West Coast. And so I felt like in Maine, we are kind of a couple weeks behind. So I had cousins whose you know schools were already closed or aunts and uncles who are teachers, kind of come from a family of teachers. And um, we first got an email from our superintendent kind of telling us, you know, we need to be preparing and what that might look like. It was kind of tricky though, because the local schools or each of our different districts within our AOS, were kind of all in charge of their own plans. And so we did get some kind of mixed signals as far as what to prepare because we are a rural school and not all of our kids have uh, internet. And so uh, it was kind of interesting we actually had a letter go out to family saying that we weren't going to do the remote learning that's kind of like the online learning that we're doing and then uh, it was the next Friday when some of the schools in Maine kind of started talking about closing and then that weekend local schools started closing around us and then we decided to close and by that Monday we needed to shift gears and completely get everything ready technologically wise so we had to get the computers ready. We knew that that was really important. The plans were coming as suggestions from the DOE and we were looking at what other bigger districts were doing and kind of seeing what they had put in writing and how many hours they were expecting kids to be online, what sort of subjects they should be studying. And we were told in the beginning that at our grade level, you know, fifth through high school, new learning should be taught. And so that was kind of, tricky to think about how we were going to do that. And so my teaching partner and I were building all of that, making resources for parents, making sure all the the families had all the passwords that they would need and the user accounts and just setting up the computers so that the kids could use them and just kind of building what felt like an entire curriculum that you would have for the beginning of the school year, but building it in March and not really knowing how long um, you would need to do it for.
0: A lot to unpack there. First of all, uh, technology-wise, you're in a rural district, most of Maine is rural. What about the kids that don't have access to computers or high-speed internet? What about the digital divide? So
2: our kids are really lucky. We are a rural school, but we do have one-to-one devices for the kids. So we're able to send home computers, but not really knowing how stable or Uh, financially, if some families had that, and so um, we did have a couple kids who didn't have internet access. It was like they couldn't even get it, you know, just living here in, in rural Maine, it just, you can't have that access sometime, and so the state was really good, actually, about sending some piece of equipment, I'm not exactly sure, some kind of booster, so that that student could then access it. Other families could, if they didn't have internet drive to the school, and just be outside and access it. But obviously with families working and just different schedules, that would have been really hard. So um, yeah, there's definitely a bit of inequity involved. But the nice thing about our students is that I guess they didn't have to then have home devices that they are having to maybe compete with. If their mom was working from home or dad was working from home, we were able to send all those home with the students.
0: Are these um, laptops or are they uh, notebooks, pads? What are they?
2: Yeah, they have um, Chromebooks.
0: Chromebooks, so, okay. Yeah. And,
2: and the great thing is, is the students were familiar with all the platforms that my teaching partner and I were asking them to use. And so Google Classroom is something that we would use daily or weekly. And so there was no kind of disadvantage in that way. It wasn't like you would have a student at home who – didn't really know how to access these things. They had practice, you know, doing them the whole year, maybe even since they were in third grade.
0: That was kind of a pandemic planning that we didn't even think about, that they were already being instructed in kind of an e-school. Why was that well, the
1: case? Well,
2: I mean, I think that it was more that my teaching partner and I really – spent a lot of time well not a lot of time because we didn't have a lot of time but we had many conversations in the short time that we had about how to make this as streamlined and as easy as possible for the families we didn't know what we were sending our kids home to you know we just really wanted the kids to be able to independently access their work and so we kind of picked the platforms as far as why we use it in school uh before the pandemic it's just a way of kind of delivering assignments for students and so if there's a video clip that you want everyone to watch and then you're going to have a group discussion or a small group discussion it's just a way of kind of posting it in in almost like a Facebook type format where they can scroll through and see what they're required to do and um, it, it gives an opportunity for teachers to make assignments and and they kind of know if they've turned it in or not so yeah it's just a platform that we have been using.
0: Boy, am I lucky I'm not a kid these days because it seems like you teachers would be able to track everything. No longer can you use the (laughs) I turned that in or the dog ate my homework or whatever lame excuse. I just want to backtrack again to the family that you said or families that could go to the school to use the Internet. How would that work?
2: So um, these weren't my students, but, you know, we have meetings where we're kind of giving updates to each other, trying to support the families who need the support and, you know, pass along ideas with one another. And so if parents, you know, weren't bogged down with a job at home or if they could transport the children to the school, then they would be able to access some of the things they needed to access. A lot of the younger kids, though, pre-K through fourth grade, we were doing packets to begin with. So they were required to re- just review material. And so the teachers put together a lot of packets that they could send home that the kids could kind of do at their own pace. Now, since then, and since we extended it after the April break through the end of the year, there's been a lot more online meets for the pre-K through fourth grade class. And, you know, honestly, I'm not even sure if they ended up taking home Chromebooks or iPads or how they were doing that if they had to get on their family's device. But I know that they've had a pretty good success rate for the younger families getting on maybe once or twice a week and just being able to see their classmates and check in with their teacher.
0: In those days just before you made the shift to everybody staying home, uh, you said you had a lot of meetings with your colleagues. Uh, Was there enough support from your administration and the state?
2: I don't know if there could have been. I mean, you know, everyone says it's this unprecedented times, And so since it wasn't really on anyone's radar, I think everyone was doing the best that they could. Yeah, that's just a tough one. I mean, I I guess in, in hindsight, it would have been nice to know that we were going to be using computers and preparing because by the time we got to school, it was like that week of St. Patrick's Day. The schools had closed, I think some of them on the Saturday and then some of them on the Sunday. And then we arrived at school and it was kind of like we were told, well, we're kind of behind the bigger schools because we didn't get stuff ready. And so I think other schools had maybe been preparing and we were just kind of unsure being in the rural community that we're in, that we were going to send home devices and what that would look like. And so there was just kind of a lot of work to front end so that we could make sure that the responsibility wasn't going to fall on the parents it was already going to be stressful we knew financially for families emotionally for families and we didn't want the school to be one more thing and at this point though we weren't really sure if it was going to be until April break which was going to give us I think five weeks of online learning versus now through the whole year which is 10 weeks.
0: So that's very thoughtful of you guys to uh, not burden the families, uh, especially the parents, with a sudden job of educating their children. Uh, I think a lot of people were talking initially that it was just going to be kind of like homeschooling, but it isn't homeschooling. It's online education. Could you walk us through what your current day of teaching from home is like?
2: I have two kids of my own. I have two boys, uh, two and a half year old and a 12 year old. And so it's really hard to do the teaching role and the mom role. I feel like um doing my best with both of them, but I feel like you can never really do either one. Well, I have some office hours that I'm, you know, supposed to foul, but it's really hard in that it's online education, so I could have parents and students contacting me at any hour of the day, and that's kind of how it started, and that's still how it goes. I mean, I have a student who put her dog to sleep, and she's, you know, messaging me at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night because she's sad, and um, other students who just, you know, want to talk or send me, you know, emojis and things, and, um, and so it's been really hard to stay within those office hours. I really want to support the kids and support the families and you know how do you do that not face to face so my office hours start at eight o'clock in the morning and i try to check in with the kids because if they're getting up around that time they can kind of message me about any questions they might have they're going to wake up and see assignments posted on google classroom and so they have two assignments from me then i kind of take some time for my boys i like to have my youngest one outside Most of the day, and so, or as much of the day as he can. And then the older one, who I'm kind of helping with his schooling, I need to remind him, oh, yeah, you have this, you know, class at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock, and we have to make sure that you're on. So I'm kind of running in and out, trying to manage all that. And then I have a bigger chunk of office hours when I might meet with kids in the afternoon when my little guy goes down after lunch, although he decided it would be a good time five weeks in to give up naps. (laughs) And so that got got really complicated for a minute, and we kind of are figuring that out. And his brother even stepped in one day and missed his class and was helping put his his brother down. But anyways, um, I have a half an hour class with my fifth graders and then a half an hour class with my sixth graders. I might plan some time to work one-on-one with students who maybe the assignments are hard for them. And then... Tried to take a break by around four, because at three o'clock, I might be checking in with students or families who haven't turned in work. So a lot of it is going to some of the platforms where I've assigned assignments and then like going to my spreadsheet and keeping track and seeing and then emailing families, seeing if I hear back from them. So it's a lot of back and forth, which kind of all feels really inefficient. It feels really inefficient to be communicating when we used to communicate with words and conversations when you're doing it all online. I mean, I've had students ask me, message me, you know, what day is it? (laughs) And so I don't respond to that. And then, you know, they tell me three hours later, oh, never mind. And I thought, was that a serious request? Or were they just, you know, looking for a social connection? The hardest part of my day is then from 8 to 11, because that's when I really can sit down because I put my little guy to bed. My other guy is on Fortnite, you know, having social time with his friends or watching TV. That's when I get in touch with other colleagues, special ed teachers, or some other teachers who are maybe giving, like, band lessons to my student, or who have an art group with my students, or the guidance counselor, and I also check in with my teaching partner, and then we share a lot of information. Sometimes it's event if we've just had a hard day, but other times it's really, like, how do we problem solve this situation? Um, the accountability piece is really hard. At first, I wanted to kind of track down students and track down families because I didn't know if they weren't understanding the flow of the assignments or how to access the assignments. And so I would get in touch, but at the same time, there was part of me that thought, am I digging into these families' lives? Am I pressuring them too much you know, by saying, you know, I haven't gotten these assignments for a couple of days? Is there something I can do to help? And so um, that's just been really hard. And so that's kind of from 8 until 10 or 11. Also, it includes, of course, planning for the next day, um, putting the resources out there, trying to make resources that are available to everyone, you know, doing modifications so that your um, more struggling students can access what you're putting out to everyone. The more gifted students can be challenged if they're going to take that on. And so it's a really long day. It's much longer than my uh, regular school day pre-pandemic.
0: Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. So many questions there about that day. Uh, Just a a quick one. You mentioned that you have a half hour class of the fifth grade and then a half hour class of the sixth grade. Is that like a zoom class you mean?
2: Yeah. And that was new for them. So I had said that a lot of the um, platforms were familiar, but that was new for everyone. It's kind of interesting because there's like two different personalities of the groups and the fifth graders are very social and they figured out right away how to do Google hangout with each other and, how to do uh, chat with each other. And they were really into it. And sixth grade, it took a little longer for them to get connected. But um, everyone gets online. I have great attendance. The students are awesome. But it's so different from the classroom in that in the classroom, you might be saying like, all right, let's, you know, curb the side conversations. Let's focus. And here it's like, okay, can you guys unmute yourselves and talk to me? I wanna hear your voices. I try to start each class with some kind of icebreaker opener game, whatever you want to call it. We did like quarantine names. Quarantine names is where you uh, pick your emotion or how you're feeling. And then the last food you ate. So you could be like happy graham cracker. And so I just try to do anything to kind of get them talking because they're super polite and that they learn the format that you get online. And, you know, you want to mute yourself in case the dog is barking or, you know, your siblings are fighting in the background, but it's just too quiet most times, and it's really been an adjustment to kind of figure out what to do. But, yeah, we have our class. We, we check in. I try to provide a lot of just kind of carefree social time because I think at this age they really need it. Um, I've had parents even request that, that they say they can't duplicate that at home, and so they've, they've asked for that. And then we read aloud a book and have time for question and answers with some of their homework and it's only half an hour, so it's really actually hard to get a lot of stuff in, but by the time you add up what they're completing for each subject, we didn't really want them to go over. At first, it was three and a half hours that we were looking at have students do for work. That doesn't mean three and a half with the teacher. That means they might meet with the teacher, and they might have independent work, and then my teaching partner and I kind of uh, paired it back to two hours, and some can even finish in an hour, and then they would have their meetings on top of that. So a total of two hours.
0: All this is obviously very new. A total switch in the dynamic between student and teacher. I mean, the checking in at 8 or 9 o'clock uh, with the the student who had to put a pet down, things like that, that seems to be an unusual uh, aspect of pandemic teaching. How do you think this is working for you personally?
2: Well... I think it ebbs and flows. Th- those first two weeks were really hard and then it got easy. And I set it up so that it's predictable for the kids. So on Monday, they have the same kind of assignments, different content, but they do like a journal entry to kind of, you know, I tried to talk up, you know, you're a part of this living history. You know, let's, what's trending on TikTok? You know, who are you playing with on Fortnite? Tried to make it relevant for them. And then, you know, throughout the week, they have, diamonds that are predictable and then by the time they get to Friday I call it fun Friday and it's really easy and shouldn't take that much time at all so I was saying that because it got to the point where I thought oh my gosh it's too predictable for me I can't I can't do this (laughs) it's way too um it was I I guess I felt like it was kind of getting boring and then it got hard again and um that was just with students before break and kind of like behaviors and more of seeing like nerf guns come out on the screen and just like kids maybe getting up from the chat and kind of like some disruptive behaviors here and there. And then after break, you know, things kinda of got easy again. At this point though, we have three more weeks and it kinda of feels like it's gonna be forever. I on my end I'm kind of sweating the small stuff, which I try to follow my own advice and not do that, but it's really hard when you see students who maybe struggled in the beginning of the year and then they turned a corner and the pandemic hit and you kind of don't even recognize them online. I have a student who it took seven weeks before that child became recognizable and I could kind of connect with them in the same in the same way that they were interacting in the classroom before. Even during the little activities that I would do just I've noticed a disconnect and just not engaged and really passive. So even though this child would show up for class every day and he wasn't turning in his assignments, his independent work, I just felt like he was kind of a kid who would joke around and I wasn't seeing him even interact with his friends in the beginning when we were just kind of all unmuted and just kind of talking to each other. He just kind of seemed sad. And so even though that's just one student, I felt like I would spend a ton of my time trying to reach out to his parents, but without, you know, kind of pestering them too much because I didn't know what they were going through. You know, I didn't know how hard it was for them. That part has just been really, really hard. It's, there's a little bit of a disconnector. it's like out of whack system where the work is, rec- is recommended for students. Of course, it's required for teachers and we want to do it anyways. We want to connect with our students and we want that to help them get their social connections. But, it's hard to know how much pressure is too much and how how much we should be asking them to turn in assignments. That's kind of been the hardest piece for me.
0: Well, we have no idea what goes on with these kids' lives at home, obviously. Uh, are you seeing things that are surprising to you during these live classes, the, or, that you're seeing their houses, you're seeing their bedrooms? you're seeing their pets, things like that. Can can you (laughs) get any sense of their at-home life through that digital window?
2: I think it's really hard. I think that that's what I'm missing the most. I mean, the relationship feels like the most important piece of it has been stripped away. I remember feeling so happy because we had taken a week off to prepare so we didn't see our students. And of course we didn't even get to say goodbye to our students and I was so happy that first week just seeing all their faces and hearing their voices. I even had to tell them at the end, you guys unmute because (laughs) I wanna hear your voice saying goodbye. Um, But I feel like I'm not really knowing at all what is going on. I, I know if they've turned in their assignments, I know if they're kind of answering questions or not, but it's only a half an hour and so I started actually after the break, uh, after like the first five-week chunk, setting up individual meetings with students, which I was free to do. I had kind of created my own system, but we also, again, didn't want to bog the students down with too many commitments. I mean, you take someone who has one kid, two kids, three kids. They have three kids. They have how many Zoom meetings or Google Meet meetings in a day, plus they're trying to juggle their own work. You know, I didn't want to over schedule the kids.
0: You're talking about missing the human connection, right? Is that what I'm hearing? The human connection between teacher and student?
2: Yeah, I think that's what teachers have kind of been good at over the years. And I'm not sure how to access it yet. I'm just really missing that real face-to-face, not just the online face-to-face.
0: Now, you say one of their assignments, uh, which I I love, by the way, uh, the journaling. I think this is going to be an extremely valuable Keepsake for the kids if it's being done right. Is, is this something that you're able to gain insight into their lives by reading their journals?
2: Sure, of course. I mean, some of the kids are really dedicated to documenting what's going on and they might spill their feelings here or there. But some of the kids, it's really hard. And even though they're a fifth or sixth grader, you know, they say, I took my dog for a walk, I watched a movie. And so those are the kids who you worry about.
0: Spilling their feelings and emotions. Some of them you say, what are those emotions? Are, are they afraid? Are they worried?
2: Yeah, worried? I mean, all of that. So, um, you know, frustrated, maybe with assignments and, and homeschool and not seeing their friends. Worried because they're asking Alexa what all the stats are of the deaths and everything. And they're maybe hearing families talk about it or watching the news, sad about not seeing their friends, but not being in school. I mean, so many of them have written about, I miss school. I thought I would, or something like, you know, you'd think any kid would love this, but I want to be back in school.
0: That's kind of surprising because I guess always as a dream, as a youngster, I, I would always, you know, wish the school would blow up or whatever, so I wouldn't have to go to school. (laughs) Um, And I also was just thinking, when you're talking about their fears and worries, Uh, as a child uh, who grew up in the 70s, during the Cold War, a nuclear war was always something uh, that we were worried about. We had air raid sirens on Fridays, things like that. But This is suddenly something very real. And I imagine their parents are freaking out as well, since most people are freaking out. So, it's got to be a very confusing time for these little ones who usually look to adults for some semblance of order.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think that besides just the lack of social connection and then family connection, hugs from grandma, they're probably watching their parents be stressed, whether they're afraid, they're afraid for their own parents, whether it's a financial strain. And Yeah, I imagine that that all kind of trickles down.
0: Who do you think has adapted um, quicker or better, the students or the teachers?
2: Oh, that's hard to say. I mean, the kids are rock stars. I have to say, (laughs) this fifth grade group who I said was, you know, pretty social and a pretty tight-knit group, they planned a whole teacher appreciation surprise for um my teaching partner and me and they came up with speeches and made a slideshow and it was like right when i needed it it was it was really really sweet and really felt well thought out and meaningful and touching and funny too i mean they found some funny memes and um you know so they just kind of flipped a switch and you know they're showing up they're doing what they can but the teachers too I mean, we had to also flip that switch and just get started, get ready to roll. Teachers are really creative. I've seen some of my colleagues, not that I work with, but just within the district, you know, put on costumes and have like a backdrop and they're teaching their lessons. Teachers are sharing with other people. There's so many resources out there that people have shared or lessons that teachers have taken the time to video and like produce really well to share. And uh, I think the teachers are really resilient too and going above and beyond. I don't, I don't think that I'm alone in saying that this feels like many more hours or much more demanding than what we might have been doing during the regular school year. So I think, I think (laughs) both groups are, are doing great.
0: I think one of the things that we're seeing is the adaptation of people. There's all sorts of adaptations, things on the fly that we have to figure out how to deal with. How does the administration adapt? Have they adapted quickly?
2: That's hard to say because it feels like when you're in the school, um, there's a lot more presence. And being online, yeah, I think they've had to figure that out. Meetings are like the meetings with kids. They're, you know, a Zoom meeting or a a Google Meet. I think there's a lot of information coming at them and a lot of meetings that they need to go to to kind of continue to make plans and then let teachers know even if plans have needed to change. And so um, I think that they've had to adapt as well.
1: How do you
0: think that this uh, shift away from the physical classroom will impact the kids, either psychologically or educationally?
2: I think sometimes I'm an outlier here, but I'm not so worried about the kids academically, especially pre-K through second grade. I think, you know, everyone's going to be okay. There's definitely a lot of people, though, who are worried about the lack of instruction or this different way of learning. but. We always kind of see a summer regression anyways. We always kind of see kids showing up to our classrooms in the fall who are below grade level. And we're always kind of assessing and and adjusting and meeting their needs. And so in this situation, we're all in the same boat where all the schools in Maine, all the schools in the country are dealing with this. And so I know that there is some inequity like we talked about with families who maybe didn't have the technology. But that kind of thing kind of already existed in the classroom where you might have had a child who missed out on a lot of read aloud from the age of zero until three and their vocabulary wasn't as well developed. And they're showing up with someone who's the same age and they're in the same grade and they're trying to do the same things and the teacher has to adapt to that. So I think it's going to be okay. I think that some of us as adults don't really remember what the quadratic formula was or all the battles of the American revolution. And we all got by and we all kind of live in this age where information is right at our fingertips and we can access that information. So I think the more important thing here is what kind of shift is this going to cause? We should really be thinking about teaching these kids how to, love learning how to find something that they love. We should really be teaching these kids how to think. And maybe it can cause this kind of positive shift in education where we can get away from the kind of overload of information. I don't want to get into like the common core or anything. I like the common core. I love having standards, but it's a lot. And so I think if we kind of use this to kind of look at the bigger picture, we might be able to meet more kids' needs in the future. As far as the psychological, though, and the emotional, I kind of worry about the kids. They're not getting the recess that they might have had or the PE class. Some people are interpreting the stay-at-home order, stay inside your house. Uh, I think social connection is important for all kids, no matter the age. And I do worry about that a little bit. At the same time, though, I do think that the kids are really resilient. And I think that They'll figure it
0: out. Uh, I, I agree, but I've also heard the chatter about kids complaining that distance learning is all the bad parts of school and none of the good parts of school—lunchtime, mm. recess, their friends. What about uh, special days like field trips or other school adventures? Uh, That—that's something they're just going to lose.
2: You're right about that. My own son, who's a sixth grader, is just really focused on how this has been the worst year, and he dates it back to Halloween when he was sick and (laughs) missed the best costume contest that had never been done in his history at the school. And so there's a lot of things that usually do happen in the spring in schools and camp experiences, graduations, and they are missing those things and experiences and that human connection. All of that is so important, and so, yes, those parts maybe can't be made up, can't be duplicated. I don't know how many of the families are able to connect with their kids in their own way. i mean, I've seen different friends talking about, oh, i you know I went fishing, I haven't been fishing since I was a kid, so I don't know how much inequity there is in that, that maybe families are getting some more of that quality time, but hopefully, maybe there's a trade off in that
0: on a sadder note. Uh, Our public schools are often serving as a safety net for some of the most vulnerable, either because of economics or lousy situations or abusive situations, school lunch programs, school nurses, teachers and staffers who show kindness. How do you think at-risk kids are handling these these hard and weird times?
2: I think it has to be really hard. I mean, we have kids who... Every, you know, the school nurse is, is in one day a week, and every time she's in, sure enough, you know, that student gets an injury out in the playground or in the classroom, and you can tell that that connection is just really important to them. And so, yeah, I think that they're they're really missing out on that. I have heard a lot of positive things, though, about the food program within the state, in our district, at other schools, kids are getting two meals a day. Maybe they're getting extra food for the weekend. Teachers are showing up, handing out those meals. But I do think that there's probably a real dark side that we're not seeing. And it's really hard to sense it from a 30-minute meeting uh, over a, a computer screen. And um, yeah, that's, that's really sad to think about. Maybe further stress in the families. Per, uh, causing further problems with alcoholism or abuse or whatever it is that then is turning around and impacting the kids, let alone the stress of parents feeling required to help the students complete their assignments. And that just has to be really hard for families.
0: Oh, very tough. In these pandemic times, obviously, there's a heck of a lot more screen time for everybody, especially kids. Yet before the pandemic, I was aware of many studies that said kids already had too much screen time. So your thoughts on the increase in digital addictions and screen time and other evils?
2: Yeah, I was worried about that too. You know, all these companies are putting out all this free stuff, and it's really cool that our kids have access to, you know, this zoo or this author reading a story or this illustrator doing drawings. But I don't think we need to really overschedule our kids' lives with all of these events or all these activities or all these just meet up online and kind of zone out. It just seemed like it was going to create a situation where kids are going to be sitting in front of a screen kind of becoming zombies all day long. And I definitely felt worried about that. We know that excess screen time, whether it's in kids or adults, can kind of make us feel cranky and irritable and anxious. And so that was kind of the last thing I wanted to provide for my students. Yet it was like this necessary evil as the only way I can communicate with the families and with the students. I know in our own house with my uh, 12-year-old, I have to come inside and and say, hey, it's 11 o'clock. You really need to get outside. It's time to take a break. And he worries because he says he has so much work to do and I also know he's kind of been just chit-chatting with his friends online which is great and I 100% support but I don't know that we as adults let alone the kids have really the ability to manage all this consumption and all this access to information and if we're struggling as parents and we're trying to teach or we're trying to do our job And then we're trying to help our kids access their material. Of course, it makes sense to just find something online for them to watch.
0: Wow, this just seems so overwhelming. Um, I know you said you miss, uh, I was wondering what you miss about uh, the pre-pandemic job. Obviously, you miss the students and your colleagues. Um, Are there things you don't
2: miss? I think there's probably less meetings now, so... (laughs) I don't miss maybe some of the meetings that, you know, we might have had to go to, or it's kind of a trade-off for some of the paperwork now. But I think we're definitely bypassing some paperwork that I'm not really missing.
0: This could be considered a controversial question, and, and you're dealing with fifth and sixth graders. But now we're not seeing any sports or sporting events. How important are sports to education? Do we even need them?
2: Oh, geez. I'm not, I did play softball, and I was a cheerleader in middle school, but I'm not a super athletic person, I would say, so (laughs) my personal opinion really shouldn't be part of this, but I don't really like sports myself. I think there's kids who really thrive on it. I mean, I just had a bunch of of faces pop in where I was thinking, oh, no, these kids are definitely missing their sports. They love that competition. They love that um, just team spirit, and I think that they're missing them at the same time. I kind of am of the belief just in my own family life. I don't like to overschedule living in a rural town. You know, we have to make a trip to the bigger city to be able to have our kids participate in sports. And so I'm definitely not missing that kind of run around or running around the state that I hear other families do when their kids are participating in a lot of competitions.
0: Well, that's so, exactly what I was thinking of, the <laughs> overscheduling of our children uh, seems to be a, an epidemic before the pandemic where it just mm. uh, there's just not enough free time for the kids. Any word trickling down to the teachers on how the pandemic has impacted the school budgets?
2: I'm not sure, but I know that sometimes I have a little bit of insight into when we take a field trip, how much buses cost and transportation. And that just has to be huge savings. I think of everything we're doing online versus copying. Um so there has to be savings there too, but I'm not really following any of those numbers. So I'm not I'm not 100% but those would be my guesses.
0: Do you have tips for parents on how to deal with the rest of the school year taking place at home?
2: Yeah, I mean, everyone's saying do the best you can, but I think that that's sometimes hard to break down. And um, I think it means, you know, be in good communication with your child's teacher, if you can, and just let them know if your plate is full. They should understand. I think that also the rest of my advice really wouldn't be academic. It would be get the kids outside, uh, vitamin D and exercise and just play for all ages. If you can, if it's not too hard to step away from your work or even if you could take your laptop outside you know, get outside yourself. If possible to do something with a family, nothing huge. You don't have to orchestrate the planning of a big garden, but maybe you just buy a tomato plant and plant it and look forward to eating those in the summer or taking a walk. I think another important thing is if your kid starts talking, then just listen. It's so hard for me because i actually teach my son. <laughs> he's in my sixth grade class.
0: Oh. And so,
2: <laughs> and so, you know, I say non-judgmentally listen and he's, you know, going off about how his assignments are so hard and I'm scratching my head saying, how can you not watch the video clip and write a comment? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think just being able to leave that space for them to talk and vent and, you know, you don't really have to say you disagree with them, even though you're thinking you might, and then just find something that you can do together. Maybe it's once a week and something that you actually enjoy. I say, don't sit down and play Monopoly. If you hate Monopoly, there has to be something that you enjoy doing together, even if it's after everyone gets a chance to kind of reset for the night and you have a fire outside and roast some marshmallows or tell a story or play music, whatever it is. But I think a lot of my tips are More about supporting the emotional and um, supporting the family life.
0: I didn't know that you had your son in your class. I went to a Catholic school and we had nuns uh, for teachers, so that really didn't happen uh, to me as a kid. Obviously, with nuns as teachers, but is that a frequent thing with, uh, or how 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 frequent is that where a teacher ends up having their child in class?
2: Well, bigger schools, there's options for the students to be placed in another fifth grade or sixth grade or whatever grade class. But our school is so small, it actually had my son twice. So I learned a lot from the first time around. (laughs) and It's gotten much better.
0: I bet you those parent teacher conferences are very confusing.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) What is the current plan for next year? It seems like physical distancing would be quite impossible in schools. Is there any talk about what next year is going to be like?
2: Man, I can't even imagine. We're not necessarily hearing anything specific. I did hear that 12 states have decided to do online schooling, and we've all heard about a bunch of colleges that are doing that. So I don't know if it's fair to say the writing's on the wall. I feel like in rural, a rural community versus a city, maybe we can make that choice a little easier. We have class sizes under 12, and so it would be possible to social distance I can't imagine it pre K through second grade kids and meeting their needs. So much of what they need is social and emotional. So that would be really hard unless your school was brave and went to maybe a forest model and got the kids outside. I've seen a lot of information out there about that as a model. I've seen people talking about um, having different A and B days where half the school comes on one day and then some kind of hybrid of online and coming to school, and this has been all over the country that I've looked at this, nothing particular in in my district.
0: What did you mean by uh, the forest model? Uh, What's that bringing them outside? What's that model?
2: So um, for pre-K through anywhere second grade students, um, there's a philosophy or a pedagogy about having kids do their learning outdoors. And so it's a mix of environmental education, but it's also um, just having two opportunities to have their reading and math lessons outdoors, having them kind of learn about themselves and the group. A lot of their learning is social and having them have opportunities to take risks. There's a lot there with the Forest School. And one good example that I've heard is You don't want the kids when they turn 16 and they're behind the wheel to just start experimenting with risk. And so Mm. if you start that when they're young and they feel comfortable climbing trees, if they trust themselves to climb the tree, then the adult trusts them as well, supports them. And they start taking those risks and making their own choices and kind of becoming leaders of their own learning at a really young age instead of waiting until they're more mature and they're older, and they get behind the car, and they're experimenting with high speeds, and there's real consequences involved at that stake versus maybe when they're younger, and they're kind of just playing around.
0: How would that forest model work in Maine during the winter?
2: It's actually out of Scandinavian countries, and it's actually not ideal to do it in the summer because you can always dress for the winter, and sometimes with the summer, it's the kids kind of become a lot more sluggish and there's kind of more risk involved, if you could believe it. And so that all becomes part of the curriculum, the snow, the changes in the water cycle. If you're, you know, if you're near a river, the kids are just part of the environment. The environment is part of the curriculum and yeah, that's how they're, they're out there learning. They they might come inside and eat during the day because studies have shown that If they're feeling too cold, their body might not feel hunger. And so that's something that, you know, they might do is eat inside. And it's really hard to with frozen little fingers and mittens to try to be unpacking your lunch and eating. And so there's some great schools in Maine that have that model.
0: It seems like your job has become incredibly uh, difficult during this pandemic, but also seems like this could be something that really shakes up education and might make uh, like an exciting time of change and renewal or revolution, perhaps?
2: Um, I would would have a hard time continuing with distance learning for a whole nother year. I just don't see the same benefits for the kids. It's always fun to change things up. I've actually taught every grade pre-K through six at our school, and so I've kind of always been having to learn new curriculums and change things up, but this one, I haven't quite wrapped my brain around. It's, it's really hard to continue with the curriculum that is expected for that grade level, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think it will be a challenge.
0: This is one of those questions that I don't even know if you can answer, but is this going to have an impact on their ability and standardized testing in SATs and all that stuff eventually?
2: Well, right, I mean, this year the state took away all the testing requirements and I'm not sure what's gonna happen in the future. I'm not sure how the kids would be able to access that. I don't know how the parents could provide the testing environment so that they can, even if the test was available online. So I'm not really sure what kind of measures would be used in the future if we did this for a whole year or if we did this for half of the year. I'm really hoping to find a way to be back at school in the fall, but I'm worried that a lot of schools are going to decide that they're going to need to continue with the the online distance learning.
0: Yikes. Uh, Very, very confusing. And I imagine uh, stressful for you to be thinking about that, not knowing and kind of dreading that almost.
2: Yeah, it's, It's definitely a situation that a lot of us haven't been in, really not knowing how to prepare for the future, really not knowing what it's going to look like, how long are we going to be doing this, what are we going to do to meet the kids' needs, hold them accountable, but also not stress out the families. I can't imagine that parents are going to be working from home or not working, not making a paycheck for the next year. So there's just a lot of question
0: marks. One final question. Could this switch to distance learning eliminate in the future school cancellations because of bad weather? Do you think that snow days will become a thing of the past?
2: I think that could definitely happen. Snow days are missing school for anywhere from what 1 to, you know, 6 days a year, maybe more. I'm not sure, but in our school that's pretty much what we would do. And so I think if you were able to provide kids with online learning, then that could be something that could be done on a temporary basis and still be effective. The snow day happens on a Wednesday. The next day, the kids are back at school. You're following up with them. You're checking in with them face-to-face. It definitely seems doable. I know that in our district, we were talking about doing snow day packets already. And they weren't online, but we were talking about ways to meet the kids' needs when they're at home providing curriculum that is still accessible that they can do independently and then having them come back in the next day or the next week and being able to check in with them and follow up so that it wouldn't fall all on the parents shoulders.
0: Thank you Lois a teacher from Midcoast Maine who teaches grade five and six your perspective and insight has been very enlightening so thank you and thank you for your service and we'll be back in a minute.
1: Earn more now, earn more later. That's a motto CBS Radio wishes every college student would paste inside his or her wallet. A lot of those collegiate wallets are a good deal fatter than usual these days, thanks to summertime jobs. And as a result, quite a few young men and women are finding themselves tempted to forget about school this fall and keep on with that job. This isn't such a smart idea as it may seem. It's a plain and simple fact. That dropouts from college are less likely to find and keep better paying jobs. Quit school before you finished, and you're not only cutting down on your chances for a really good job, you're also throwing away thousands of dollars of possible future income. Finish college, get all the education possible, and your lifetime income is many thousands of dollars higher. America needs well educated young men and women, and the rewards are sure. So if you're wavering now that school's about to open, Don't decide against your future. Go back. And remember, learn more now, earn more later.
0: Again, thanks so much to Lois and all the educators across Maine who have adapted to the challenges of teaching during the coronavirus era. We're lucky they are so dedicated to their students because... If it weren't for hard-working teachers, our society would be cursed with even more knuckleheads and numbskulls. So, if you are an educator or a school staffer, thank you. Do you have a pandemic story you want to share? Or is there an angel or a helper or a scoundrel that you feel needs some attention? Write me via Crash at CrashBerry.com and tell me about it. Thanks for listening.